Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday. It is the Fan Drive Time Sportsnet 590. The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Text line is open throughout the entirety of the two-hour program. 590-590. And it is officially officialized. Brad Treliving, the 18th general manager in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Nine seasons as the GM of the Calgary Flames. Where they made the playoffs five times during his tenure. Won just two playoff rounds. Won a qualifying round of course, uh, in the bubble as well, but two playoff rounds over those five appearances, regular season record, 362, 265, and 73. He is the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Nick Kiprios of Real Kipper and Born, kind enough to stick around. It's exciting around here. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it was, you know, these things don't always play out uh, like wire-to-wire uh, -wire winners, right? Like, because he was the favorite right out of the gate. Um, he was the betting favorite right out of the gate yeah. as well. And, like, we know he wasn't the only guy interviewed. And there were some, some guys that did uh, some interviews via Zoom. But these things don't always turn out the way this one did where it was expected that he would be the guy. And then a couple of weeks later, here he is. He's the guy. Yeah, and I really do believe that, uh, Ben, it's a matter of also process of elimination. And they know who's out there. They know who's available. There was some talk of a wish list of of current general managers still under contract, uh -huh. i.e. Doug Armstrong, mm -hmm. and you're not getting him. You're not getting George McPhee. So there's the list of availability. I think it was pretty quick in terms of what Brendan Shanahan saw and said, uh, I'm not doing better than Brad Tree Living. He's my guy. How uh, we'll get back to Brad in a second. Brad's gonna. There's gonna be lots of lots said about Brad uh, over the next well weeks and and certainly days. Is his uh, media availability at eleven o'clock tomorrow morning? But you mentioned the Doug Armstrong yeah. of it all. Um, it was a pipe dream for many. Like I, I think if if Leaf fans had their druthers, like they got to just it's like a fantasy draft of GM candidates. They would take the guy with the cup ring from 2019 and the executive of the year <laughs> and the, the and the Olympic gold medal. Like yeah. I think that would be the guy. But as you mentioned, under contract, he's got the four first round picks upcoming for that Blues team. Like where in your mind, how far down the road did that get, if at all? Perhaps uh, a subtle conversation between maybe Doug Armstrong and his owner and maybe a very quick no oh, yeah. is my guess. Yeah. Not knowing anything. How does that relationship, like how does that impact the relationship if, if, if a guy, like... Uh, it's a good question. It's a, it, ben, it's a great question, which could also mean that maybe Doug Armstrong chose not to maybe go to his owner yeah. and say at the end of the day, this is what he's paying me. I've got three years left on my deal. I, I had calls uh, a few days ago telling me that they really believe that Doug Armstrong had an out in his contract with Toronto and Montreal. And I'm like, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not sure. And everything I've heard from some reputable people said he has no out. Yeah. And that is a very touchy subject for you to address your owner. So I don't know the relationship he has with uh, his ownership. Mm. And if they're if he's comfortable, listen, Doug Armstrong, amongst many, would want to one day think about being a, a boss at with the Toronto Maple Leafs or 
the Montreal Canadiens or mm. the Boston Bruins, Rangers. Anytime you're dealing with original six, yeah. there is a little bit of a a kick in in winning Stanley Cups with those type of markets, but I, I don't think it it got anywhere near um, anything of substance, or else perhaps we would have seen a longer delay in announcing the Leafs' 18th general manager in history. Yeah, it's true. And 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 what remains intact is, we assume, the reporting structure that Kyle Dubas had that maybe he negotiated to try to move away from where it's Brendan Shanahan still with, like, veto power. I'm thinking if, if you go the Doug Armstrong route uh, and he has to go to his owner and he has to break a contract and he has to leave a place where... You know, he's going to be immortalized and a legend there, bringing a Stanley Cup uh, to St. Louis in, in 2019. That if that was the case, like, do you think Brendan Shanahan would have been comfortable in saying, you know what? Okay, you, you get final say, and, and I'm still the president, but yeah, the, you, you get to do everything, and yeah. there's no oversight. Anytime we have a boss, a president, yeah. uh, the, the buck has to stop somewhere, and it's on Brendan Shanahan. And I think part of the the reasoning why we didn't see Kyle and Sheldon, or I'm sorry, uh, Kyle and Brendan together a lot was because of the the growth of 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 a of, of general manager in his fifth year. Mm. I don't I don't see Brendan Shanahan being really on a day to day basis a hands on guy to Brad Tree Living. I think Brad is going to have the freedom to have his expertise go on a day-to-day basis. And when there's something big, of course he's going to go to Brendan. And of course Brendan's going to go to the board. That's just the way it works. Mm. Um, But I I expect Brad to feel very comfortable moving forward with some thoughts and ideas. He knows what he's getting into. He knows this market well. He knows the Canadian market, the landscape. A little different than Calgary. Yeah, it is, but he he's smart enough to understand it. He's watched it from afar here. He, he knows what he's getting himself into here, and uh, I think he welcomes the challenge, and he also welcomes uh, working alongside Brendan Shanahan. Yeah, and I, I, I don't – I mean, there's been no reporting that Brendan Shanahan's like a meddler, right? Just that he has some we have, input. We have been left with a little bit of a – question mark on that through various <laughs> reports in the media well so this is where i wanted to get to because elliot friedman had the report that hey in the interview process he was talking to potential gms and talking about the the, the head coach and sheldon keefe and he said i think he's done a good job but you can fire him if you want to if you're if you're interviewing for a job and you know your boss who ultimately does control your fate and you know maybe that's not for long because Sheldon, uh, Brendan Shanahan's contract is up in a couple of years as well. But he indicates to you that he wants to keep the head coach. Are we now in a place that it's more likely than not that that Sheldon Keefe is the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs next season? Uh, excellent question. And my answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's l- lending towards that. And if it, if it, Falls back to what I just spoke of earlier that maybe Brendan uh, 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 went with the thought of Brad Tree Living being the best guy out there mm-hmm. because of a, of a process of elimination. Maybe it's the exact same thing with the head coach. Maybe it's just that uh, I'm looking around and I don't not sure if I see anything significantly better on an upgrade right now uh. and. 
we'll just move forward with Sheldon until Sheldon proves us wrong otherwise. Well, isn't it also when you're you're, you're a brand new GM and, and everybody's just trying to last as long as they possibly can in these jobs, right? Like you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, but you also understand that there's only so many bullets that you can fire over over the your tenure as the general manager of, of an organization. Is that something you want to do right away? Like step into the, the job and, you know, within the first couple of days, you're yeah, firing a no, head coach? No, you're not. You're not because how, how many... Uh, like, where's your research? Where's your basis on doing that? Right. Unless, unless you feel like this is where Brent, it, it would feel more like Brendan Shanahan firing him than yeah. Brad Tree living if he did it in the next day or two. Right. Like, how much homework have you done? How many questions have you asked? How many players have you talked to? Is he a good coach? Is he not a good coach? Does, can he make in game adjustments? Can he not? Why were the defensemen pinching? Um, you know, on 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 chances that uh, you know weren't favorable on on a successful play. Like maybe you want to start asking some of these questions first before you fire the guy. Yeah. So I that's the process that I expect uh, Brad Tree Living to go through, and that may take a week. It might yeah. take ten days. Get to know Sheldon. Maybe there's a feeling that Sheldon might feel rejuvenated that his best buddy isn't there constantly over his shoulder and oh that's and, interesting and uh in in Kyle Dubis and maybe I'll, I'll feel a little bit more free to to do things or change things up and you know may, maybe oh that's an interesting dynamic may, may, maybe, Nick maybe the the thought was that uh you know I I can go to another level here because I don't have my buddy a guy that uh I I grew up with and and in the ranks, watching over me. Yeah, and gave gave me a bunch of opportunities, so I feel loyal to him. But yeah, we are kind of attached at the hip. That this is maybe a new lease on life for Sheldon. 100%. I hadn't thought about. And that's where that's that's where Brad's got to revisit here uh, in, in a quick hurry before you jump to any conclusions. Mm-hmm. There is also this uh, report uh, from Luke Fox that that Brad's already been in contact with Austin Matthews, which you would expect. That like the number one order of business is. Okay, you got to take care of the head coach, I suppose. But no, it's the guy that, that's extension eligible uh, at the end of next month. Uh, a guy, an American, just like the, the the situation he had in Calgary with Johnny Goudreau, in which he let him play out his final year as a Calgary Flame and then lost him for nothing. And I, I wonder how that impacts the decision-making here. We also have an indication that, again, Brendan Shanahan indicated to those core four players that yeah. you're coming back <laughs> and it'll be up to the GM, just like the, the head coach. Hey, I liked, I like the head coach, but it's up to you as the new GM, whether you like him or not, when it's your, your, your future boss indicating that, that he'd keep going forward with those same four guys. Like I'm, I'm now at a place, Nick, after it seems so clear that there was going to be a stick of dynamite thrown into the, the core of this Toronto Maple Leafs team that, they're going to have the head coach back, and there's no massive trade of either of any of those four guys. Brad Tree Living's flying into Toronto as we speak. Yes. He's going to get off the plane, and he's going to have a message saying, hey, listen, you don't have time to go to the hotel right now or wherever, you, wherever you're staying. You need to come into the office right now, and we need to get to work. Yeah. That, that's what it, uh, it, it feels like. And to your point, of course, Austin Matthews and his situation – which in many ways does mirror 
what Brad went through a year ago with Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Um, and he's going to have to start that relationship. I think Chris Johnson uh, reported that there is uh, good communication or good contacts, uh, contact between uh, the Leafs already, um, and I'm sure it's through Brendan Shanahan and uh, his agent, uh, Judd uh, Mulver. So I think, I think they're talking, but you know, this is where Brad's going to have to come in and, uh, and uh, revisit everything that uh, those talks were all about. And he's going to have to get a comfort level with Austin. Austin's going to have to get a comfort level with him. And you guys got to come up with something that'll please MLSE, please the fans, please Austin, mm-hmm. please his agent, mm-hmm. please his family. This is the work that uh, needs to get going ASAP. From a holistic perspective, I mean, looking at at the the tenure of, of Kyle Dubas and looking at the last nine years of Brad Treliving, do you see like an obvious difference in philosophy be- be- between those two guys? Well, uh, you know, Brad's older, first of all. Mm-hmm. So if, if we look at MLSE today and the way it's been built the last four or five years, I mean, Kyle's fingerprints are all over it with his sports science mm-hmm. and uh you know sleep doctors and the analytics and Man, i I'm, need some sleep doctors I, i'm not sure like if brad's going heavily into that yeah. as much brad looks to me more like a uh uh, a gut feel kind well, of guy he, and he's than also, it is crunching numbers. <laughs> he's also the guy that it didn't work out. It's, it was a spectacular failure. But hire Daryl Sutter, right? Like hire Daryl Sutter to be the head coach of the uh, Calgary Flames. Nah, I'm not sure who hired Daryl oh, Okay, Sutter. okay, never mind then. Yeah, not sure. <laughs> you might not want to do your homework there. <laughs> and that Daryl Sutter uh, decision might have come up a little higher than Brad in Calgary. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's because to me that would have been a clear mark of delineation between Treliving and Dubas. That yeah, Daryl Sutter and uh, his old school approach, not exactly in the business of making players feel comfortable. And yeah, yeah. again, like it blew up spectacularly yeah. well, in, in Calgary. It was good for a while. Don't, don't Dude, kid yourself. Was, he was the uh, flavor of the month, and the mm-hmm. second month, and the third month, and it was looking pretty good. And all of a sudden. Oh yeah, you you guys stopped winning. Now, Daryl's an idiot and a dinosaur, and uh, get rid of him. Yeah, I listen. Brad for living is is deserving of this opportunity. He's 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 made his bones in this league, starting in Arizona as an assistant GM for the better part of a decade, and then spent almost an entire decade in Calgary. But yeah, it must be said that he he comes from yeah, uh, like yeah, his his, his dad Jim is uh, owner of Boston Pizza. And there is like a business relationship, but like Larry Tannenbaum and, and Jim Treliving know each other. Like go back and look at the the, the shot of the yeah. sh- of the shot, the Kawhi Leonard shot in Game Seven yeah. against Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. You know who's in that? Jim Treliving. Yeah, he's, and he's chilled out. He's well, the I, only guy not I, losing his mind. I don't think his, I don't think Daddy got him the job here. But I, I do I do wonder if they're like that's not I'm not making stuff up, right? Like Jim Treliving and Larry Tannenbaum know each other professionally. Yes, but I think some people are making too big of a deal out of that. Okay. And uh, so that is- like, this is Brendan's call. This is Brendan uh, having complete authority to go back to the board and say, that's my guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, listen, um, 
you know, if things don't work out in Toronto, I don't think, you know, Brad's starving. No. Right? <laughs> so no, it'll be fine. And they have lots of Boston yeah, pizzas he listen, can eat. Uh, Brad's a smart guy and he's a personable guy and he'll be able to handle the media here. Yeah. And uh, Brendan feels like he's, he's the guy that's uh, best suited at this particular time. People are going to pick apart Brad tree living. Don't get, I mean, he doesn't get in here scot-free when you look back in Calgary and uh, you know, how far did you get? And uh, well, it's not, you, that's dissect, the thing. you dissect your trades and some worked out and some didn't. And at the time, of uh, Matthew Kachuk, it was the greatest trade under the circumstances. Yeah. And to get a 115-point guy in, in Jonathan Huberto and then to, for him to turn around and cut his point production completely in half. Yeah. Um, but at the time, he was praised heavily for, for uh, making a, a bad situation into something pretty good mm-hmm. on a return for Calgary. So... Brad's in a situation where he's got to prove he can win too. And and that's probably part of the the lure and the challenge to do it. No, Doug Armstrong would have been obvious. This is like while he was the favorite from the start uh and has the experience in a in a Canadian market. No, the the resume is not obvious. Like he yeah. did all right. Like I said, made the playoffs five times and he won a couple of rounds and won a qualifying round. And the, yeah. hey, the 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 two rounds of the playoffs that he won, that's one more than the previous guy who was offered an extension. And eventually yeah. that, that, that went no. down the toilet. Brad's got a lot to prove. Yep. Brandon Shanahan's got a lot to prove. Yep. The core four have a lot to prove. There's, oh, yeah. There's a lot of meat on the bone still. <laughs> yes, there is. All right. Uh, before I let you go, so I, I know you and, and Justin Bourne were talking about Kyle Dubas and the, the, the fact that he had not yet signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday. I asked Frank Saravelli when I had him on yesterday about yeah. the the, like, the weird silence after all signs indicated that the Penguins and Kyle Dubas were right there at the finish line and the offer had been made and spent a couple hours with Sidney Crosby, still nothing happening. Yeah. And and here we are now, middle of the week, Wednesday, after he was supposed to supposedly had the, the weekend to, to mull things over. What, what do you yeah. think is happening uh, here? Uh, more negotiations, second guessing. I, I who Who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but based on Kyle's track record here in the last couple of weeks, if there is a delay or some question marks, uh, how surprised will, will, will people be? Mm. Um, Elliot, I think on last Saturday said it's his job for the taking. Yeah. And up until now, we, we, we haven't heard anything definitive that he has taken the job. Is there a possibility he would pass on it? Uh, we, we spoke of that before you spoke to Frank on, on, on your show yeah. uh, yesterday, and Justin said, well, if you truly look at the roster here, uh, even if I think I'm really good, I don't know if I'm that good to, to, <laughs> to turn that into a winner in the next year or two. Did the roster, did the, 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 the look at the prospects scare him off? Yeah. How does this work, though? If, if, like I said, I mean, ultimately it was Brendan Shanahan's decision to walk away from him, but he was offered an extension and then wasn't and like by his own doing um was no longer the the general in the running to be the general manager of the toronto maple leafs if he turns down this job as well and there's reasons to turn it down i understand like what what does that do to him in the market of of general managers does it take any of the shine (laughs) off of him or it adds to it yeah that he's like Like, yeah you can't get to him because he's he's playing hard to get or 
or uh, you know, he's the best catch ever. Yeah, I don't know to be honest with you. Like, he could end up your co-host next season, well, and I wouldn't be any more any less surprised <laughs> well, with this guy. Uh, so, like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, like the Sean McVay thing in in LA with the the Rams, right? The head coach yeah. that there was an indication that he was going to walk yeah. away from the job. Uh, after the Super Bowl victory, he was going to spend some time in media and then re-enter the marketplace. It's great when you got that good of a plan, eh? Dude, I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 I he's a he's a pretty good speaker. I think Kyle Dubas, like, if he did want to do media for a year and and then you know continue to stay in the limelight and then re-enter yeah. the marketplace yeah. next season, is that the worst I, I, idea in the world? Is it? Is it just uh, uh, musical chairs here? And you see a lot of chairs going right now. Uh, Ottawa, someone suggested that maybe Kyle in the corner of his eyes waiting to see where yeah. ownership goes with Ottawa. And can I slide in there and come back and jam it down the Leafs' throats <laughs> like five times a year in the Battle of Ontario? How great would that be, I mean, though? It would be hilarious. It would be, be, be pretty, uh, pretty entertaining. Anyways, we've sold nothing. Here. No, <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> but we've talked about some really interesting possibilities. Um, yeah, the, the story continues tomorrow again as Brad True Living uh, introduced uh, introduced to the Toronto media at eleven o'clock, and then uh, Real Kipper and Born after that on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan, thanks for doing this. Hey Nick. Ben, always. All right, when we come back, we will talk to uh, Jeff Merrick as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet five ninety. The fan, the best Blue Jays show out there. Period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Time Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. The text line remains open at 590-590. Probably get to some of your texts before the uh, top of the next hour. And I know it's fun when, when you're gambling to, to bet on the underdog. Because when you win, well, you win more money. But you also seem smart. But the favorite is the favorite for a reason. And uh, Brad Living was the favorite and ends up winning out in the end. He is the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's talk to Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. How's it going, Jeffrey? Good. The one thing that, uh, that you'll quickly realize uh, the longer you do this uh, as a living is generally, and again, this is a wide brush thought here, Ben, but generally the first person you hear about for a job, whether it was Kent Hughes with the Montreal Canadiens, that was the first one you heard, whether it's Craig Conroy, most recently with the Calgary Flames or Brad Schliven with the Toronto Maple Leafs. More... Uh, more times than not, that's, that ends up being the person that gets chosen. So always, I always try to pay attention to the first name that you hear. Yeah, and there wasn't even like, uh, the, the rumors didn't really, the, the, there was nobody that had like this amazing interview, which you sometimes hear like, wow, we went in thinking Brad for living, but you, you man, you, you, you should have seen so-and-so's <laughs> interview and, and the plan laid out in front of us. We didn't hear anything. Yeah. It was like kind of straightforward. And you know what? There was, it was not a ton of leaks, which is, is tough for our insider friends, but like it really didn't, it was, it was, there was a, a, a pretty significant cone of silence over this thing. Didn't you feel? Yeah, there, there really was. Um, 
Like, I think we knew, like, Elliot reported a couple of different names, uh, most notably, you know, uh, whether it was Mark Bergevin or Peter Chiarelli. Um, I know that there was a lot of conversation around Doug Armstrong, and a lot of people in St. Louis were really, really sensitive about that topic. They sure were. Um, you know, I, I had someone, uh, someone text me, say, you know, poke around on John Chica. Uh, that you know he might be in the in, in the mix in all of this, but it seemed as if this was, yeah, th- this was you know I I wonder if it was sort of leak free because it was so quick. Yeah, like they had the interview with Brad Tree Living and probably you know confirmed all of their suspicions or all their beliefs uh, pre held about who he is, what he's all about, his vision for this team, how he feels about blah 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 lessons from Calgary, all of it, and experience in the marketplace, and probably said you know what. He is who we thought he was, and that's why we're going to go forward with Brad for a living. So what about the last nine years, and what do the last nine years of Brad for a living in Calgary tell you about what's to come in, in the next few days and weeks and months and, and maybe years uh, in the Brad for a living general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs era? You know what Brad for a living's reputation is in the industry? What's that? He's the guy that's involved in every conversation. There are some managers that you learn about. Like, everyone has a different style. You know, there are some who wait for phone calls. There are some who initiate phone calls for a specific reason. And then there are some that spend their day on the phone because they want to know what's going on with every team. You know, as much as they can, as much as they can find out, they want to know what's going on. And so they, you know, wake up in the morning, brush their teeth, put their pants on, and start making calls. That's Brad for Living's reputation. And you ask anybody who's ever dealt with Brad for Living, you ask other managers what his reputation is, is he is involved in all conversations. And whether he's part of any transaction, whether he's part of any deal, um, is irrelevant. Brad for Living is, is, is someone that, um, by way of reputation, knows everything that's going on. I shouldn't say everything, because not, not everyone is as forthcoming as, as everybody else with, with information. But as much as you can understand about what's happening in the league, Brad Living is on top of it. That's his reputation. Might not be in on all the deals, hmm. but he's in on all the conversations. That is Brad Living's reputation. He is the guy, like everybody works their phone. It's, it's part of the, but man, Brad Living really <laughs> works his phone. You will uh, seldom see Brad with, uh, without it, or you'll seldom see a, shot, a, a cutaway shot of Brad for a living for more than a couple of minutes without him looking down to his uh, phone, either for a text or a call. Yeah, and, and, and I do that too, but my, my phone isn't giving me uh, important information <laughs> like it is uh, for Brad for a living, likely. But, and it, so he's worked in a Canadian market, right? Calgary's not Toronto. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe this is just navel-gazing, and maybe this only applies to, to, to us, and, and we're the only people that care about this, but is it important yes. that, that he's dealt yes. with a Canadian yes. media contingent? Yes, yes, all of that. And, and he's, he's, um, he's, uh, he's worked in, uh, in environments where he's not a lone wolf. You know, he's worked in, in collaborative environments with the Calgary Flames, with the, uh, you know, for, for example, with the late Ken King, uh, with Murray Edwards, um, you know, everybody has a master that they serve. And, you know, long gone are the days where, you know, the general manager had full autonomy and, you know, the, uh, you saw the owner at Christmas time and at the end of the season and that's it. Maybe you saw him at the beginning of the season. 
those days are long gone, uh, more so now than ever. Uh, managers, presidents, all of them, they want to know what's going on and they want reports and uh, all these types of things. Brad has worked in that environment. Uh, and we all know about you know, the family business as well. Uh, he's very comfortable uh, in that environment. And I think it takes, like, I've always maintained this about, uh, about hockey players. It takes a really special kind of player to embrace playing in Canada because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And, and that's why I always say like, it, it takes a really special type of player to be a captain on a, on, on a, on a Canadian hockey team. Um, you know, the example that I always raise is Dion Phaneuf. Now I know Dion Phaneuf had a lot of detractors and not everybody was a big, a big fan of Dion Phaneuf. But the one thing you can, you can never say is that he didn't embrace what it was to be a captain uh, on a Canadian hockey team. And a lot of guys shy away from it. They don't want it. They don't want the attention. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want to be accountable uh, after every single game. But a guy like Dion Phaneuf did. And I, and I think that there's a, you know, there's a, truly there's a level of celebrity that comes along with being a general manager of a Canadian hockey team. Um, there's a lot of celebrity that comes along with being an owner of a Canadian hockey team, for that matter. Um, but the GM, in a lot of ways, you know, becomes the face of the franchise. Uh, in Toronto's case, that's shared with Brendan Shanahan. So I think that the fact that he knows what pressure is, like Canadian hockey pressure, which is a very unique thing, um, and he's gone through a lot of different things. Like you would look at the experiences that Brad for Living has had. You know, there've been a, a couple. Um, I mean, the the Johnny Gaudreau situation was not a great one, um, and I would imagine that he's he's learned from that experience. Um, the Matthew Kachuk situation was another one. I'm sure he's learned from that situation. The one thing that we learned is Brad for Living isn't afraid uh, to pull the trigger on big deals. But I'll tell you what, Ben, I was mentioning this this afternoon. The, the, the one place where I really saw Brad for Living and, you know, the calm amongst the storm and in, a, in a real pressure situation is when the Calgary Flames are going through their coaching situation with Bill Peters. And I can still remember that, you know, that afternoon – Calgary was playing in Buffalo. I believe, yeah, it was they were playing in Buffalo, and this is when you know Bill Peters was you know initially suspended and then eventually removed from the bench. And Brad True Living would you know was was tasked with uh, updating media um, so rumors didn't run wild about you know what was happening, uh, explaining why Bill wasn't there. And this was a daily thing. And I remember you know Brad True Living would 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 update reporters. You know, not just once a day, but a couple of times a day. And the questions were awkward. The questions were very difficult, uh, very challenging and stressful time for Brad for Living. But I don't know about you, but every time that I watched Brad for Living, as much as you knew he was exhausted, yeah. he knew he had an obligation to do this. And that was, like that, that to me, Ben, was really impressive. Just the way that he was able to shepherd the Calgary Flames through one of the most difficult situation that organization has ever been through to me was really impressive. No, it's a great anecdote and, and one that, that people should keep in mind. I mean, th- again, like, I don't know how important this is and it's all about winning, right? Ultimately that's, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's the number one thing. And if Brad for living creates a Stanley cup champion here in Toronto, the rest of it is, is irrelevant. It's all about W's at the end yeah. of the day, but it, how do you feel like the fan base is reacting to this? Because it's it it is a guy who's who's had you know some playoff success, you know, notably a little bit more than the guy uh, that just departed here in Kyle Dubas. But he's won two rounds. He won the the qualifying round two in the bubble in the nine years and the five playoff appearances 
with with the Calgary Flames. But he also like inadvertently might have built the Stanley Cup champion in in Sunrise, Florida. And I I get it. Like tough tough <laughs> circumstances. Like you're under the gun. You have to do something. And especially after watching Johnny Goudreau leave for nothing, the, there was a zero percent chance he was going to let that happen again with Matthew Kachuk. But like in another world, like people. You know, and I'm sure there are many, um, especially on Twitter, who are 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 pointing at this hiring as being a kind of bizarre one, and and one that doesn't exactly live up to the billing of general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs that should always be the best guy, like a Lou Lamorello. That made sense, right? When 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 Brandon Shanahan went out and got Lou freaking Lamorello. Wow, what a name! What what an incredible hire! It's not quite that, I will say, Jeff. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, Lou Lamarillo was, in, uh, Lou Lamarillo was there for the teardown. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it wasn't like Lou Lamarillo was in here to, uh, in Toronto to win championships. Lou Lamarillo, uh, in Mike Babcock's words, you know, uh, quite famously in that, in that interview with Christine Simpson, you know, Lamarillo was there so the Maple Leafs could, quote, do what they had to do to get Austin Matthews. Yep. That doesn't scream, you know, we're bringing in Lou for the New Jersey Devils glory years. I, I think that... Um, I think the Bradshaw Living has put together an excellent hockey team uh, in Calgary. I think that, um, you know, it's interesting you bring up the Matthew Kachuk trade because I think there's been a lot of historical revisionism around that trade and when it was made, how it was looked at initially. And listen, Matthew Kachuk is like in a different stratosphere now. Like he's gone from, uh, he's gone inside of one year to being one of the most recognizable players in the league, one of the best performers, clutch performer, regular season performer, and, you know, finding himself quite comfortable on the set with Shaq uh, and Charles Barkley on the NBA on TNT. So, like, he's done marvelous uh, in Sunrise. But at the time, I mean, this was looked at, I don't want to say fleecing, that might be too strong, but I think everybody's jaws were dropped at, like, hold on a second, he just traded Matthew Kachuk, okay, difficult situation, he wasn't going to resign, and you turned him into, you know, someone, you know, a hundred point player getting hard trophy consideration, one of the best playmakers in the NHL and a top four defenseman. Yep. Like this was looked at as a humongous win for the Calgary Flames. Yeah. So I, I always sort of pause on, on the Matthew Kachuk situation because, you know, from, from the Calgary point of view, a lot of people are saying, you know what? Give for living the GM of the year award just for what he was able to turn Matthew Kachuk into because he'd made it clear he was not going to re-sign long-term with the Calgary Flames, and Brad Living was able to turn him into Huberto and Uyghur. Now, I know Huberto didn't have the best of all possible seasons. It was an off year, certainly, for the Calgary Flames. Uh, we'll see if the next head coach can can remedy that. It was pretty obvious that Huberto and Sutter were not going to work as a forward-coach combination. We'll see what happens when the, uh, the next coach gets hired here and what happens with Huberto, but, you know... Let's all go back to when it was when when the trade was fresh, and we were all saying, "Man, Brad for Living did a great job here." Yeah, no, and I was one of them. I mean, who 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 wouldn't have had that that take after guy seemed like he was over a barrel and was able to extract what yeah. seemed like equitable uh, value for uh, for Matthew Kachuk? Again, didn't work out that way, but yeah, we're we're playing the results in that in, in that instance. All right, so then the number one. Question for Leaf fans, the number one question that will be asked of Brad Tree Living, I imagine, tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock in a media mm-hmm. conference that you can hear on Sportsnet 59 The Fan and watch on Sportsnet will be about Austin Matthews, obviously, right? And Luke Fox with yeah. the report that that 
he's already reached out to Austin Matthews, a guy that's extension eligible on July 1st. Also, when his no trade clause uh, comes into effect, and and it, you would think that his previous history with similar circumstances would inform his actions going forward. So he did it both ways, right? He let it play out with Goudreau, didn't work out, traded Matthew Kachuk, and yeah, again, that didn't work out. But at least he got something, and again, in the moment, it, it seemed like it was fair fair value. So so the the natural thought process for me is, hey, if, if it doesn't look like this guy's going to sign up long-term and you could end up, it could be a Johnny Goudreau situation in Toronto, maybe you do revisit the Matthew Kachuk line of thinking. Although, like for a guy who's going to be weeks onto the job, I mean, for your first big splash move to trade away the single-season goal-scoring leader in franchise history seems like um, a bridge too far for me, Jeff. You know, that's why you want to have someone like Brad Living shepherding the Maple Leafs through all of this, right? It's not as if he doesn't have relationships with Judd Moldaver from Wasserman, who represents Austin Matthews. He doesn't have, you know, relationships with Louis Gross, uh, with William Nylander. Gross, by the way, also, you know, represents Johnny Gaudreau. Um, so, I mean, he has rep- uh, relationships with all these people. Now, I-, I don't know that a Matthews deal gets done before July 1st, and I know that might scare a lot of people, a lot of Maple Leafs fans. I understand that. I, I, I completely understand that. Certainly, you know, under the sunshine or the clouds, rather, I guess, of what happened with Johnny Gaudreau uh, with True Living in the Calgary Flames. But, you know, Austin Matthews has given, you know, no indication that he, he, he doesn't want to stay here. Uh, I don't think that any contract that uh, Matthews signed, any extension he signs with the Maple Leafs, is going to be a, a long-term deal. Like, I don't think we're looking at an eight-year deal here. I think that it'll be a shorter deal. Um, you know, Elliot's talked about this a number of times. It sounds like, if anything, it's, it's going to be a shorter deal um, at a really big ticket, which will probably make him the highest-paid player in the National Hockey League. Um, but as much as that might scare people, I, I don't know that, that you should necessarily be scared because until Matthews indicates to the Maple Leafs or the marketplace that he doesn't want to be here, I think those conversations will continue. I think more than anything else, Ben, this is a situation where Austin Matthews, um, not that the Maple Leafs need to audition for him to sign, Mm -hmm. but I think he wants an indication of, okay, if I'm going to sign an extension here, you know, it's not going to be eight years, maybe it's four or five. Um, What's the team going to look like? What's the plan here? What's what's the vision here? Uh, What do you plan to do with, you know, these teammates? What do you plan to do? Uh, to to help repopulate this this Maple Leafs organization and what are our prospects for winning and who's the head coach going to be by the way yeah. I think these are all conversations that Trilliving uh, has with with Austin Matthews with his representation uh, Judd Muldaver of Wasserman and 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 away we go I know Maple Leafs fans I know it's easy to get carried away and get ahead of yourself and oh the sky is falling new GM and July 1st is coming and no trade and Johnny Gaudreau situation. Oh, it's going to happen again. Just all pump the brakes here. <laughs> He's given Matthews has given no indication that he wants to leave. I think that, you know, I was making this point this afternoon on the radio show that um, if you're someone like Austin Matthews and you have a sense of history and rewriting record books in the, the biggest market in the NHL and clearing a path for yourself to the hockey hall of fame, now, I've always said this, the easiest path to the Hockey Hall of Fame is do well in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Now, go look at the 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs team and you know, look at all the players on that team. 
that are in the Hall of Fame. And you look at all the players that have played for the Maple Leafs that have found their way to the Hall of Fame. Like the avenue from from the from where you are to the uh, to the Hockey Hall of Fame is shortest if you play with the Maple Leafs. And I don't think that's lost on someone like Austin Matthews. Yeah, it's right there on Front Street. It's right. It's, it's right quick. There. Like, it's like he... geograph- geographically, it's true. Like, <laughs> metaphorically, it's true. Like it works. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> it is true. Uh, Jeff, this was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, bud. You'd be well, Ben. Yeah, you too. Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show and the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, which is he, uh, which he is about to record right now. Um, again, Brad, we're living. Introduced to the assembled masses at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and watch it on Sportsnet. I think we all have a pretty good idea of what the first couple of questions are going to be and and what they'll be about. Like I said, Austin Matthews, the core four, making a big trade, and the days leading up to the no-trade clauses being in effect for both Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and a 10-team no-trade list for William Nylander, those decisions need to be made right away. But as I was talking to Nick Kiprios moments ago about, when it comes to the head coach and when it comes to a massive decision like trading away one of those guys, and it's really only one guy, like it's Mitch Marner because it's unlikely you're going to get equitable value back for what William Nylander's getting paid, and you're not going to trade away a 60-goal score unless Austin Matthews indicates entirely that he's not coming back, which not only have we not heard, we've heard the opposite, that he wants to be a Toronto Maple Leaf forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But you're, you're Brad Tree Living, and yeah, you've worked in a Canadian market, but this is the mecca. You, like we just said, you're steps away from the Hockey Hall of Fame as if. Well, one, in your interview, if, if your potential new boss has already indicated to those four guys that they're likely to stay, you're going to then, in your interview, try to get hired for the job. Say, yeah, I know you said that, and you may have told your players that, but that's not what I'm going to do. So one, that's not likely. And two, you have limited bullets in the chamber throughout your entire run here, however long it is. You get to fire a coach, maybe two, you get one big swing when it comes to trade, maybe two. And if it's Austin Matthews, you only get one. Like, if that doesn't work out, that's it. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, or Mitch Marner, right? Like, it's not that much further down the rungs to get to a Mitch Marner trade, a, a guy who's getting Selkie Trophy votes, who's a 100-point player. So here we are in the summer of 2023 after... An embarrassing five-game series loss to the Florida Panthers after, yes, winning in six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, their first series victory in seven tries. And the obvious conclusion everybody came to at the end of game five against the Panthers that something had to give. And even the, the GM at the time, Kyle Dubas, indicating that, hey, you have paths that you intend to go down, but sometimes maybe you're being a little stubborn staying on that path, indicating that some massive trade was coming. Now, if you, if you ask me to wager on whether the core four is coming back and whether the head coach is coming back, I would say both guys, both. Like, that's, we're running it back. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that Brad True Living can't put his stamp on it because there's, what, more than 20 million bucks coming off uh, the books and lots of cap space, lots of free agents, a lot of work to do. And, yeah, there's things that he can do to better help this team 
win postseason rounds. But the core of this thing is not going to change. I don't think. I find it very unlikely that his first order of business would be the fan favorite, uh, the 60-goal scorer, the guy who had a disappointing second round, no doubt. But, yeah, put up some numbers against the Lightning. That guy's gone. And, and it doesn't matter for what return. All right, text line is open, 590-590. Let's go to the uh, text line. Uh, unnamed caller or unnamed texter says, Treliving, very stats-oriented and capable analyst. Think uh, he balances the eye test as well as analytics. And thanks for the text. And I think this is like, this texter is attempting to comment on the, the Kyle Dubas era in saying that this is a guy that will take the numbers and the eye test, and combine them as if Kyle Dubas did not do that, which I don't think is correct. Like, I think you have to, and maybe it was an evolution thing for Kyle Dubas, but this is a guy who made his bones scouting, right? Like, in junior in the Sioux, this is a guy that spent hours and hours and hours watching hockey players and, and, and understanding how that looked and how that would translate on the ice and also the analytic side of things. So I I agree with that, but I don't think it's it's any different. Honestly, I don't think much is going to be that different under Bradshaw Living than it would have been if uh, Kyle Dubas had been retained. All right, Frank and Milton says, Keith's playoff system didn't work. Players couldn't win for him. Zero NHL experience before Leafs. Shanahan should fire Keith now, not the new GM. Now that is an interesting side angle to this because I was of the belief that you let your new GM decide who the head coach is and that you shouldn't do that like in this vacuum couple of weeks where you don't really have a, a general manager that you as the president should fire the head coach but you would have saved him a bullet I guess you would have put the crosshairs more on yourself, but as if they could get any larger on uh, Brendan Shanahan's head. Bob says, uh, Flames had more points than the Panthers this year. Bob is the only reason the Panthers are where they are, and Brad's, he had nothing to do with Bob. That's uh, in relation to Sergei Bobrovsky. That is true. The Flames had 93 points. Panthers had 92 and only made the playoffs on the strength of the Pittsburgh Penguins losing to the Chicago Blackhawks in game 81. But yeah, that's that's if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, yada, yada, yada. It's the nature of the sport. It's the nature of all sports, but yeah. More specifically, it's the nature of this sport that there are some real slim margins and there are real sliding door moments. And yeah, not making the playoffs by a single point and making the playoffs by a single point and then making the Stanley Cup final and then the guy who was a Hart Trophy candidate. But yeah, that's, what is that worth if you don't make the playoffs? That guy getting into the playoffs and then winning a con Smythe and bringing your franchise for Stanley Cup. Yeah, those that's like, the margins are so thin that we're talking about somebody's entire legacy being uh, changed by a game he didn't even play in. All right, and uh, Mike in Boston says, do you think Nate Pearson can and would want to become an elite closer? Do I think he would want to? Yeah, I think anybody who's a reliever wants to do the thing that in the relief 
world earns you the most money, and that's be a closer. Now, do the Blue Jays need another closer? And I think Jordan Romano's been just fine. Thank you very much. They certainly need what Nate Pearson has given them so far, and it's it's a guy that can strike people out but can go multiple innings. And ultimately, while the closer gets all the accolades and, again, like all the money, and especially when it comes to arbitration, like saves still matter to those people, the arbitrators, for whatever reason, because we use an outdated system. That's all well and good. But, like, the true value may lie in, I mean, not may, definitely lies in in getting six outs as opposed to three. And depending on where you are in the lineup and the score of the game, like, that, that can decide the game. I think the Blue Jays are more than happy to have Nate Pearson be somebody who can take the ball for multiple innings. Not unlike Trevor Richards, who's become a real valuable weapon for this bullpen as well. Uh, thanks to the texters. We'll maybe sprinkle in some more texts before the end of the show. Text line, again, 590-590. But when we come back, it's a Wednesday, which means we talk to Adnan Verk, uh, our pal from MLB Network, also of NHL Network, also of the Cinephile Podcast. I haven't uh, had his thoughts on the succession finale. Adnan Verk. Coming up next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis. Text line open 590-590. It's Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into the biggest stories in Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Again, text line open, 590, 590. I normally shy away from succession spoilers so soon after the episode is aired on Sunday, this being Wednesday, but it's the series finale. I think by now anyone that cares about that, that, that show has seen that episode on Sunday. That being said, I'm not, not going to spoil everything. But yeah, unlike the succession finale, it was the betting favorite. There were, there were no surprises when it came to the head of the Toronto Maple Leafs as opposed to Waystar Royco. Um, Brad Living was the guy we all expected to be the general manager at the outset of this thing. And today, officially announced as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Adnan Verk, as he does every Wednesday, joins me now. He of MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. How's it going, Adnan? I'm doing great, Ben. I apologize if you hear planes overhead live at City Field. We're doing the show. Me and Harold Reynolds, two hours from now. Harold right now chatting up Bryce Harper. So, yeah, you may hear some planes, some loud music, as you know, and VP uh, is taking place. But always a pleasure to dive in, my friend, wherever I may be. Yeah, okay, you're at City Field. You, you missed the Blue Jays by a, a couple of days because that's where, where they're headed next to, to, to play the Mets after this bizarro, weird three-game homestand. Then they, they go to Queens to, to play the Mets. I mean, now that you raise the, the specter of the Mets, who were World Series favorites, I mean, them and, like, the Padres spending 
uh, every dollar that's that that exists in in North America hasn't worked out for either team. At least the Mets have, have bounced back a little bit. But like, what is the feeling in Queens about that team right now? Well, I think everyone kind of feels like at some point this team will take off, and I think there's definitely frustration, and yet at the same time a feeling that they're capable of much better. I think it'd be different, Ben, if there was just way like the injuries and bad luck and poor circumstances, but that really isn't the case. What's happened is that, you know, Scherzer's yet to get really get rolling. Um, obviously, Verlander was out for a while, but everyone feels like when this team is clicking, they have the horses to compete. What helps them is a very mediocre National League. I looked at it yesterday. All the teams on the National League are within five games of the third wild card spot. Think about that. The Cubs are like, you know, the worst team in the National League, mm. and there's still only four and a half teams out of a wild card spot. So, what that tells you is that there's a lot of parity right now in the NL. I think the Giants at last check have the third wild card, and they're like a game or two over 500. The Central's a disaster, just as it is in the AL. So, if you're the Mets and you start doing the math, you go, okay, whoever wins the Central, let's get the Brewers. Dodgers probably win the West. I think the D backs are for real. So there's three teams now. Padres at some point should kick it up, but they're the biggest disappointment in the sport so far. Rays in the East, well, then the Mets are still right in there. All you got to do is knock out the Phillies and the Marlins, and you'll still be a playoff team. So I think that's kind of the approach that, you know, casual observers take. Of course, you ask the team. They're going to say, we still think we can win the division, and uh, we still think we're going to be a formidable team. But, yeah, they, they've yet to really get rolling. What's interesting what the Mets have done, though, Ben, is they brought up some youth, which I think has really helped. As you know, you don't really see any trades the first two months of the season. All you can do is pick a DFA guy like the Yankees and Aaron Hicks or pick someone up like that. But what they've done is they brought up Francisco Alvarez, the catcher who's been good, Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty. So it was fun what they did. They kind of brought up from within, give them an infusion of youth, and um, take care of the fact that guys like, you know, maybe Mark Canna and, and a few others, uh, Mark hasn't been very good. Alonzo's carried this offense. I mean, he's on pace for 60 homers and like 140 RBI. So Pistol yeah. Pete's been amazing for sure. No, and, and I'm, I'm glad you bring up uh, the 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 reality that is the the National League being you know w- without a, a a truly dominant team um, because the the Blue Jays play in the dominant division in the American League East where where everybody is above 500 and they find themselves nine games back at the Tampa Bay Rays and they went through that two and nine stretch over 11 games against American League East foes and then they got out of playing everybody within their division, took two out of three from the Minnesota Twins, who were and are a division leader, the AL Central. Now they're playing another division leader in the Milwaukee Brewers. They take game one yesterday in, in pretty, you know, pretty easy fashion. It, it, you know, when I looked at the, the less uh, unbalanced schedule this year, and I thought it would benefit like a, a team like the Boston Red Sox. Did not expect it to benefit the Blue Jays, but it, it actually might, Adnan. The, the, the fact that this Blue Jays team has struggled against the best division in baseball, the fact they're only playing them 13 times this year might be beneficial. I completely agree, Ben. That's the approach you have to have. You know, you, you'd like to say, well, if there's more games head-to-head, therefore we can trim our deficit easier. But I think you have to be a realist and go, hey, it just isn't the Jays' year. Intra-division, they've got the fourth worst record in baseball. They do not match up well with any of these teams, whether it's the Rays, Yankees, Orioles, or Red Sox. So I'm with you. I look at it and go, hey, the good news is you can make up ground facing other teams, hopefully beat up on those teams that AL Central for sure, and the NL Central for sure. You won't play the Yankees again until September. I believe it's the same for the Rays. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the Yankees at six in the final 12 they face them. So you go, all right, at that point in time, we could be jockeying for a second or third wild card spot. That's going to be really important games, but we can take a breath right now, kind of catch our breath, make up some games, and not have to worry about those other teams which are formidable right now in our division. 
Uh, so City Field, the, the other thing about City Field, and I know they brought the fences in, but that, like, at the outset, that was a real pitcher-friendly ballpark, and, and nobody really knows when there's, like, either a new ballpark opens or you make a, a big change to the dimensions of a ballpark like they've done here at Rogers Centre. And, and it's early days, and the, the weather's warming up, so maybe this will change. But right now, Rogers Centre's playing like old Petco, Adnan, and, and, and we're still waiting to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit his first home run at home this season it's insane they have the second fewest home home runs in all of baseball do the blue jays like what what if rogers center is just like a a place that pitchers love all of a sudden well it's a great point you bring up banks i think it's very underreported at least here at mlb network nobody's been mentioning that you're the first one to say it to me and you're right i looked at vladdy's numbers yesterday he's hit something like 220 i think in his last 20 games only has one home run over that stretch I, I had no idea that's a hell of a nugget. You have to get a home run at Rogers. So that's crazy Yeah. because we know what a BAM box it normally is. And you feel like the first thing when someone mentions the Toronto Blue Jays is they focus on their offense and that great young slew of young hitters. So if it's not a home run happy park, that's just strange. I mean, that's, that's good news for, for Chris Bass and Opie can turn things around and Kikuchi. What's funny is, as you say that Kikuchi's going to have the second most home runs in baseball. Like it's, it's, it's a place which is home run averse and less unfortunate for you say Kikuchi. So, mm. Um, that is definitely unusual and atypical for the Blue Jays. And I think for most people, they look at those dimensions and they've appreciated it. And I think it's certainly been a fan-friendly experience, but I do wonder what that means. Roster construction start to go, huh, well, maybe this will make our, you know, Chris Bassett signing better, but this is going to be tough for Dalton Varsho signing, who's yet to really get going offensively, although I know he's very good defensively when you look at his DRS. Yeah, no, we, we looked at the two left-handed hitters that they acquired in Dalton Varsho and Brandon Belt and thought, oh, man, th- those guys are going to be teeing off into right field at, at Rogers Center. So far, it, it hasn't played out that way. So you're in New York City. You're in Queens. It's not it's not Yankee Stadium, but there's still a ton of pressure on those those New York baseball teams. Um, and, and like I, I said at the outset, there's a new general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and everything... You know, every time you, you talk to somebody about what the, the job of the Toronto Maple Leafs entails, they talk about, oh, the pressure and the media hordes that you you have to satisfy, to which I say, okay, yeah, there's, there's certainly more than there is in Sunrise, Florida, probably. But, man, I, 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 I've seen it, that I, at least when they traveled. The New York Yankees, and to a lesser degree, the Mets, what, what those teams and their executives have to put up with with the pressure and the day-to-day nature of it and just the, the, the pure number of people and media people that follow those teams. Can, can you speak to the, the pressure that those two New York teams are under day-to-day? No question. I mean, being here right now, Ben, you can really feel the vibe when you're at the park and everyone knows now with Steve Cohen in charge, this is a different ballgame. Like, this is not going to be a team satisfied with third place in the NL East. They are going to go for the World Championship come hell or high water. And like you said, this is a city of 10 million people. So that's a lot of baseball fans and they're really passionate. I think they're very knowledgeable. They're a very smart fan base. They know what's what when it comes to their team. They know when someone is legit, when someone cares, and they know when someone is struggling. So I think it's a lot of pressure, certainly for, for the Mets and for the Yankees. I'll be at Yankee Stadium, by the way, next Wednesday, hopefully for our, our weekly hit next Wednesday. So I'll get to catch up with my buddy Aaron Boone, but there's a good example of a guy who's as laid back as a cat to me he's the epitome of california cool and he's getting tossed all the time right because he's so fired up and so competitive and doesn't want to see him get an inch so if um if the game of baseball in new york city can make aaron boone some sort of a tyrant that's an example of the pressure of new york baseball uh, i know it's been a it's been a minute since you since you lived here adnan but and, and look, you know what a lot has changed just as far as the sporting landscape is concerned but 
You know, is, is being the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs a little bit like being president of sports in this city? I think without question, man. I, you know, you have to approach things in a positive manner. If you approach things by saying, hey, this is a lot of pressure, this is a lot of stress, it's a no-win situation, ultimately you'll feel that way. But if you say, if we bring a towel here, we are going to walk on water, that's the approach Brad Tree Living has to say, right? Because look at Theo Epstein. You know, when he looked at the Red Sox, he didn't say, I'm dealing with 86 years of futility. He said, if we win this thing, we will be canonized forever. And they did it. And they did it with the Chicago Cubs. He said, if we break this thing, they'll remember us forever. And that's the approach Brad Tree Living has to make. Yes, the Raptors winning an NBA title speaks to just how much the city has changed, young demographic, how much they love basketball. Blue Jays will always be a passionate fan base going back to 1993. And obviously, I've seen what's happened with soccer, winning a title and Dwayne DeRosario's impact. I was way back there when Mo Johnson was the coach, and uh, the best thing about the game was, was BMO. It was a great field, but the team was struggling. So I know what a great city it is, even including the Argos, but the Leafs are the Leafs for a reason. And I think when you take a job like that, you've got to have the ego and the confidence to say, we can do this and we can dominate the way nobody else has been able to. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up Theo Epstein because he did it, yeah, both in Boston and then did it in Chicago and, and two places where you would have said, man, if you win there, you're sainted forever. And he, he did it twice in, in both locations. I mean, now that those two, I mean, one was over 100 years. One in the Red Sox was almost 100 years. Uh, it's not quite that, but 1967 was a long time ago. Like, it, are, are the Maple Leafs now the, the, the next one up as far as the reward of, of winning a championship, being the one that's at the helm of, of, of the team that, that breaks the 50-plus-year-old the curse? Is, are the Toronto Maple Leafs now in pole position when it comes to that? I think so, Ben, because I look at the other teams, like Cleveland's got to be over 60 years, I believe, going back to 54, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But I think if you ask any person, hockey in Toronto is a bigger deal than baseball in Cleveland. Those are great fans, of course, but it's the next level, the hockey pass in Toronto. So I think so, man. Like, I think obviously in hockey, the Leafs are the, the biggest one is, as far as the team trying to overcome the hex with a team with a, a passionate fan base. In baseball, I would say Cleveland. In football, like, you've got a bunch of teams that have never won the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily count the Arizona Cardinals, but, like, the, the, the signature franchises, have generally won. I guess the Bills would be the one that might be a comparable one there. The Bills yeah. could be the least as far as a great franchise. Passionate fans have yet to win. And then the NBA, again, it's kind of like, you know, most of those teams, like the signature franchises have won for good reason. Maybe it's the Knicks. Knicks have a one since 73. Again, right. great fan base. But I think you can make a compelling argument of all the major team sports. The Leafs are the one in terms of biggest bang for the buck. If they win, I mean, that city's going to go bananas. Yep. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see it uh, before I leave my mortal coil. All right, before uh, we let go, back to uh, uh, City Field. Succession, finale, what'd you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I didn't want to spoil anything, and and of course, uh, weeks ago, I mentioned what happened to Logan. I felt horrible about it, but on the latest Cinephile, I made it clear, hey, spoiler alert, capital letters, here's what happened, because I'm with you. I think if you're a fan, you know what's happened by now. It'd be impossible to stay off your phone and social media. So, again, you and I are not going to be obnoxious about it, but I I'm with you. I thought it was a satisfying finale. Everything worked out as good as possible. And I think that um, ultimately the Roy family is, is in the hands that they expected. It's cynical and it's dark, but that's kind of what the show was. Very much true to their roots. Uh, Adnan, uh, enjoy uh, the game today uh, and have a great show. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much, Ben. Take care. All right, you too. Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast in uh, Queens, New York, at City Field, uh, getting set for a baseball game. There. By the way, there is uh, there's baseball on the go right now and uh, some American League East flavor to it as 
The Rays have lost a couple in a row to the Chicago Cubs. Cubs leading yet again. Top of the eighth inning, trying to hand the the Rays their 19th loss of the season as they sit 39 and 18, top of the eighth. And uh, the Rays do have runner on second base and none out, trying to come back against the 24 and 30 Chicago Cubs. Orioles now leading the Guardians 4-3 as they play in the bottom of the third inning. Um, we'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith down at the ballpark later on this hour as we get you set for the Blue Jays and Milwaukee Brewers. The second of three games in this abbreviated three-game homestand before the Blue Jays head out on the road again, starting with uh, the New York Mets over the weekend in Queens. A um, little basketball for you. As uh, it was NBA Finals Media Day today in Denver, as we get set for tomorrow's game one between the Nuggets and the Heat. And whenever you get, like, the assembled NBA media together in one place and you get a lot of executives and you get a lot of information sharing, you start to get some rumors and some reports. And we had one today involving the Toronto Raptors. Now, it was Brett Siegel on Twitter, who reported that according to league sources close to the organization, that being the Philadelphia 76ers, Raptors all-star guard Fred Van Vliet has emerged as a potential replacement for James Harden this offseason. Now, James Harden has an opt-out with the Philadelphia 76ers. He can become a free agent, which he almost certainly will do, even if he doesn't get max money from wherever he ends up. And, like, the rumors are too many to, to count that see him going back to Houston and reuniting with the Rockets. If he does that, like Joel Embiid, probably going to need somebody to be his running mate. Fred Van Bleet, yeah, it makes some sense. Other than the fact that, okay, he can become a free agent is he will likely also opt out. But the Sixers have no cap space. And I, I guess there's a conceivable way to free up cap space, but probably not. It probably involves a sign-in trade. And a sign-in trade in which the Raptors are not exactly bowing down to your every whim if you're the Philadelphia 76ers. But yeah, there's also the, the Nick Nurse connection. A guy that had, I think, a, a pretty good relationship with Fred Van Vliet, the new head coach of uh, the Philadelphia 76ers did. Although this year there was like some rumblings that yeah, things didn't go necessarily as smoothly as they had in previous years. Um, Fred kind of put that to bed, though. Yesterday, in an interview on Stadium, was asked about his relationship with Nick Nurse. It's just a, a different voice that they haven't heard before, something outside the box. He's going to bring new ideas, creative ideas. Uh, it'll be a great, you know, breath of fresh air for them. Um, anytime you're changing head coaches, that's pretty much what you're looking for is a new identity, new voice for guys to kind of rally behind. I think, you know, coming down the stretch, pretty much had to get Joel on board. I think once they got that, you know, once Nick met with, with Joel, and as long as he's signing off on, on all the crazy stuff that coach wants to do, then uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, they'll be, they'll be in a good spot. So, uh, you know, I think he'll have some success, hopefully not too much, you know, if, yeah. if uh, I'm not there, you know, and, and um, I'm staying in Toronto, then, yeah. you know, we want him to fail. But uh, other than that, <laughs> uh, I'm happy that he landed on his feet. You know, our situation was our situation this year and coming down 
down the stretch. You know, they decide to go different ways, but uh, I'm just happy that he landed on his feet. Good to see him, you know, back with another job. Have you gotten any calls or text messages from like Joel Embiid or James Harden? It's like, you know, what's two Nick Nurse? What, what, what yeah. am I getting into? What is he bringing to this roster? No, I haven't got those calls okay. yet, but they might be calling after training camp. <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to read them. But uh, he's definitely a, a different guy, but certainly, you know, one of the top coaches in the NBA. And uh, we saw that with us winning the championship. So yeah. that bond that we have, that's, that's a lifelong thing. All right, that's Fred Van Vliet in conversation with Stadium yesterday talking about what Nick Nurse is going to bring to the Philadelphia 76ers. And a couple of things out of that. One is that, yeah, I, I suppose if you've been around NBA training camps um, and you haven't been around a Nick Nurse one, you would see a difference. I mean, I don't know necessarily what that means, but, like, this is a guy that employed a box and one against Steph Curry in the 2019 NBA Finals when that was not only not in vogue, that was like, uh, well, as Steph Curry called it, janky. Not afraid to, to take some chances uh, is Nick Nurse. But yeah, that they, they now share a lifetime bond because of their championship in 2019 that clearly there's still a relationship there, that clearly this is not a guy that he would be adverse to, to spending some more seasons with, especially if it meant more cash. Um, but yeah, despite the fact that he hasn't been the picture of health over the last half decade and Nick Nurse continues to play him each and every minute of each and every game, seemingly, no hard feelings, that that's still a relationship that could coexist, even if it's not in Toronto. The second thing was that he did discount the possibility of returning to the Toronto Raptors, that he said, hey, listen, if I'm still there, I want them to lose every game. But yeah, this is a guy that's going to bring a, a brand new voice and something different to a Philadelphia 76ers team that has lots of parallels to the current era of Toronto Maple Leafs teams, except instead of winning a postseason round, it's been winning a second round series. It's been getting to a conference final with all the talent that they've had that they've been unable to do so uh, is pretty shocking. Now it's up to Nick Nurse to get the uh, reigning MVP past the second round and into the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, game one of the NBA Finals starts tomorrow in Denver. Nuggets and Miami Heat is the Heat becoming the second eight seed in the history of the NBA to make a Finals. Happening tonight, though, at Rogers Center with the roof wide open. Looking at uh, BP right now, it's the Blue Jays and Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Julio Tehran, after a near half decade of, of like just horrible health making a second start for the milwaukee brewers after they uh, they signed a midseason against alec manoa coming off another horrific start in a string of horrific starts and yeah the major league leader in walks per nine uh that's coming your way tonight as the blue jays try to secure themselves back-to-back series victories against division winners ben nicholson smith We'll be on the call of tonight's game with Ben Wagner. He joins me next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Fan Drive Time, Sports Time, 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Text line is open at 590-590. Blue Jays and Milwaukee Brewers getting set for game two of three tonight down at Rogers Center. Tomorrow is an afternoon affair, 1 o'clock uh, on Sports Time, 590 The Fan and Sports Time. Tonight it is Alec Manoa against Julio Tehran making his second start of the season for the Milwaukee Brewers after pitching five innings in 2021, 31 innings in, a, obviously, uh, a shortened season in 2020. It has not been uh, a very healthy last couple of years for Julio Tehran, but back in the day was one of the dominant starting pitching forces in all of Major League Baseball, was fifth in Rookie of the Year voting in 2013 and had an ERA of 289 in 33 starts for the Atlanta Braves in, in 2014. Trying to recapture some of that at 32 years old tonight against the Blue Jays. Let's talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith of the At The Letters podcast. He's going to be on the call with uh, Ben Wagner of uh, tonight's game uh, against the Brewers. How's it going, Ben? It's going great. I'm watching the Blue Jays take a little bit of BP here, and uh, all seems to be going pretty well at the Rogers Center. Yeah, and and the news of the day, Kevin Kiermaier uh, in the lineup for the first time since the little back tweak, and he was always trying to avoid the IL. Um as were the Blue Jays. And, I mean, what's what's the latest on, on Kiermaier in the back and, and how close to 100% he feels? Well, he's feeling better. Uh, he's about to step in and take a few cuts uh, alongside Vlad Guerrero Jr. And that's a huge development for the Blue Jays, obviously. He's been so good for them. And it wasn't clear how many days he would need. He told me on Sunday and again yesterday that he was feeling better. Um, but, of course, it's one thing to feel a bit better. It's another thing to be good to go in a game setting. So he's going to be out there tonight. And John Schneider saying just a few minutes ago that there's a chance he'll be able to just roll from here. And even with the day game after the night game coming up tomorrow, um, Kevin Kiermeyer is a possibility for tomorrow's game as well. So all that seems to be promising for the Blue Jays. Uh, Blue Jays with the series opening victory yesterday. They had 14 hits. That's good. 13 singles, not as good. I mean, it's you it, it, it take singles over strikeouts, no doubt. A lot of those singles coming on the ground as well. And, yes, I know that, that a ball is more likely to turn into a base hit if it's on the ground than it is in the air. Like, I get that. But that's – I mean, this is a team that's really struggled with the power all season long, Ben. But that that is startling. 13 singles on 14 hits yesterday. What's going on with the power? <laughs> well, you know – they won 7-2. Uh, to me, it's probably not a game that I'm going to look too, too closely at for problems. But I, I do think that you're right to say that the power wasn't there. They did not hit a home run. We've seen a lack of power from this team all season long, and sometimes it's really cost them. Uh, like you said yesterday, they were able to just chip away and put it together to the point that they scored enough to give themselves a real margin for error and win comfortably over the Brewers. So that's a great thing for them. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, the power wasn't there, but you're not going to have three home runs every night. And they were at least able to make enough contact to the point that they were putting pressure on the Brewers' defense and taking advantage of it. And, and thankfully for them, not running into too many mistakes on the bases because we've seen that yeah. a lot in the last week or so, and they were able to avoid that last night. No, yeah, the, the, the good job by them. Um, yeah, I would like to see, like, the occasional home run would, would be nice. And certainly one at home from Vlad would be, hey, that'd be neato. Um, yeah, that being said, 
maybe Rogers Center is is very difficult to, is a very difficult place to hit home runs now. Like they they really haven't come for either team. I know it's it's early on in the season. The Blue Jays haven't played as many home games as as some others throughout Major League Baseball. We know offense as a whole goes up as the season goes along and and the weather gets warmer. Like, is there anybody like any rumblings that maybe there's a surprising way that this this new ballpark dimension is playing? Well, I'll be curious to see how the rest of the season unfolds. I think after a couple months, it is still pretty early, uh, and we're obviously very skewed toward what the Blue Jays themselves have done and how their uh, own set of hitters is performing at this moment in time. So I don't want to be too... I don't want to read too much into what's happened specifically uh, for this team over the course of the 30 or so games they've played here. Um, I think we're just going to have to see. Um, when I look at this ballpark, it's pretty similar to how it always has been. And essentially, this has been a hitter's park, um, more so than it's been a, a pitcher's park for its entire existence. So, yeah, the changes are there and the renovations were important, but I, I don't think that this is a fundamentally different ballpark. I, I still think it's going to tilt toward the hitters. Uh was that a, a breakout for Vlad? Because, yeah, he had the three-hit game and, you know, big RBI in the first inning. All singles and, and a lot of them on the ground. But, I mean, considering where he was, I suppose, uh, on the road trip, is, is that a breakout for Vlad? I, I think a breakout for Vlad looks like two homers into the second deck yeah. uh, or three homers, you know, I think four doubles, you know. I don't think it's three singles. I, I think that was a good game for Vlad Jr. I think it was a step in the right direction. Um, I think, yeah, a breakout would look different than that. And he's working toward that. He's got um, Wilton Guerrero, his uncle, here in town. He's working, of course, in concert with the Blue Jays, hitting coaches as well. Guillermo Martinez and Hunter Mentz and John Schneider involved. He's got a lot of voices uh, around him to support him and try to get to the right spot. Um, And then physically, too, let's not forget that this is a player who did deal with wrist soreness just a few weeks ago. You look back at the numbers since then, he's really dropped off offensively. Um, Is that a coincidence? Like, it might not be. So um, I think that Vladdy is is certainly one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, He can help himself. Uh, by making really good decisions at the plate with what he's swinging at. But I, I think the true breakout for Vladdy will look a little more authoritative than three singles. How unusual is it for Wilton to, to, to be in attendance? Is that like they're breaking glass in case of emergency to, to, to bring him up and, and fix Vlad? Well, it's not an everyday occurrence, that's for sure. Um, it's something that, that Vlad Jr. and the Blue Jays were, were all um, open to and were all um, curious to see what, what that could look like and see if, if that could help. It's also support, you know, just when you think about mentally the grind of a season. Um, Vlad Jr. obviously has known his, his uncle forever. Um, so it's it's someone there who can guide him through what's been a difficult few weeks. And he remains upbeat. I, I don't think that, you know, especially after a three-hit game, he is trending in the right direction. But we all know the potential. We saw the 48-home run season a couple years ago. Um, we've seen just his swing, his ability to make contact, his ability to draw walks, um, to hit for power. We haven't seen that full, full package yet on a consistent basis this season. And so at this point, he's trying to talk to people who can help him get there. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure Yusei Kikuchi is talking to people who can help him get there. And honestly, out of your fifth starter, five innings, two earned runs, you take that. Like, I think every fifth day, honestly, um, because that's all that's expected out of the fifth starter. And the Blue Jays offense should be more than capable of making up that 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 deficit um 
and and they did. They scored the seven runs yesterday. But the walks are starting to creep back into his game, as are the hard-hit balls. Like, May has looked a lot different than April. Where are you on what you say Kikuchi is this season? Well, I think he's an effective enough fifth starter, and that's fine. They don't need him to be more than that. Of course, it would be nice, but you don't expect that you're going to wake up and find Shane McClanahan um, in a Blue Jays uniform. It's it's still a valuable, valuable role to be able to go out there and pitch five innings. And last night, he didn't have his command. wasn't sharp with his location, but he still was able to make it through five, only allowed those two runs. That place, I mean, there is a role for that. And there's a role for that every five days. And if he can continue doing that, I think the Jays would lock that in. If they could, you know, we're roughly a third of the way through the season right now. And I think if you could multiply what he's done by three, where he's got a 4.46 ERA and he's giving you five innings every time out, I think you would take that, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, and, and they, they took it yesterday and ran with it. Um, you know what else I would take? I would take uh, clean uh, six outs and, and four strikeouts from Nate Pearson every every outing. And you know what? Every fifth day, maybe that's like a, a piggyback thing that you can do is is you say through through five and then Nate Pearson for a couple after that. Um, I mean, not only is, is the fastball playing up and the breaking ball, I mean, I don't think uh, opponents have gotten a hit off the breaking ball so far this season, but the ability to get six outs, Ben, like, how important all of a sudden is Nate Pearson to this Blue Jays bullpen? Well, we're seeing incredible upside right here, and it's not a shock. We've been talking about Nate Pearson's upside for a long time, but we've been talking about it mostly in a theoretical sense, and now we're talking about it in the sense of, oh, this is real. This is actually happening on a major league field against the best hitters in the world. And so for him to go out and strike out four of the six hitters he faced, retire every one of them, do it using all of his pitches, his slider, his curveball, fastball sitting 99. It's a great combination. And as long as he keeps this up, he'll be a very, very important part of the Blue Jays' bullpen. I mean, this is this is a pitcher who, you know, if, if he can continue this, which is a big if because he's only done it for a month so far, but if he can keep doing this, he'll be pitching some of the most important innings for the Blue Jays this season. We've seen Trevor Richards get a, a like a higher leverage than he was getting as well, and like obviously the the changeup plays. Like, well, how how much of the the Trevor Richards story in the thirty four strikeouts in twenty two innings are you believing? I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. I, I think that he's there's no denying just how good his changeup is, and mm-hmm. it's a pitch that he's throwing more this year. Um, it's a pitch that he's getting great results with, even as he throws it more, continues to fool opponents with it. I, I think the reality with Trevor Richards is, you know, if you have a three-run lead, he's a great pitcher because he is going to walk some guys, and he's probably going to allow some home runs. But he's kind of a three-true-outcomes pitcher, yeah. and he's going to get a lot of strikeouts. So, uh, you know, there are situations where that's really valuable because he can also go five, six, even seven outs for you and, and really bridge a gap. So... He has a role in a good Major League bullpen. I think he can help the Blue Jays get to the playoffs, and I think what we're seeing from him is a lot of evidence that he's legit. Uh, so today I was I was doing some looking at fan graphs and, and trying to diagnose where the issues have been with this Blue Jays team this season. And I was going through the, the rankings when it comes to fan graphs war for each position um, and where it ranked in Major League Baseball. So... The catchers, any, anybody that's played catcher in a game for, for the, the Blue Jays this season, they rank 10th in, in catcher war this season. First base, 
they rank ninth. Second base, they rank 23rd, and I will add parenthetically, Whit Merrifield, we all think of as the primary second baseman. He's played lots of second base, but basically split his time at second base and the outfield. Uh, shortstop, they're third. Naturally, Boba has been outstanding this season. Third base, they're second. Naturally, Matt Chapman was uh, the best hitter in baseball. It was Major League Player of the Month for, for April. He's cooled significantly in May. But yeah, still second in third base war. Outfield, they're 16th. Eh. DH, they're ninth. Starting pitcher, they're 18th. And relief pitching, they are 20th. What is it? What is the biggest takeaway from you? Again, like the, the big outliers, second base, they're 23rd in Major League Baseball. Starting pitching, they're 18th. Relief pitching, they're 20th. And uh, DH, they're 9th. And first base, they're 9th. Well, I think, to me, it's almost the relievers that stand out the most because I think the relievers are actually better than average as a group. And so when I hear that they've been 20th in Major League Baseball, I kind of think there's room for them to be better than that moving forward. I, when I look at this collection of arms, the stuff that they have, the experience that they have, um, even some of the upside with a guy like a Nate Pearson, I just think they can be better than that. I think they can be a top 10 bullpen in Major League Baseball, especially when you consider Chad Green's coming back, especially when you consider that in all likelihood they will be pursuing arms at the trade deadline. Their bullpen should be getting better rather than worse. So... Yeah, I, I think this is a, a better-than-average bullpen. And really, you know, the pitching, the they need depth, right? That's that's a big question across this roster, especially with the position players. And you look at the, you look at Heinemann and, and you know, obviously Clement and Lucas as your bench. Mm. There's room to upgrade there, make no mistake. But, but um, when I look at the bullpen, I do think that that's a group that's capable of a lot more. Yeah, well, what about catching? Because that, that was a position that they dominated. They were first in Major League Baseball in Fangraph's war uh, produced from the catching position. It wasn't just offensively, and Alejandro Kirk was an all-star last year, but they were getting great defense. It was also a different world, right, where you know we didn't have the pitch clock and, and base stealing wasn't such a, a, a big part of the game, which it is this season. And obviously Danny Jansen's off to a slow start, and Alejandro Kirk is off to, like just everybody else, in this Blue Jays lineup, off to a slow start, a start with the power. Like, the on-base is there and a bunch of hits yesterday as well. Like, where are you on the Blue Jays' ability to get back to that place where they are the best catching team in Major League Baseball? Well, suddenly, there is a whole lot on Alejandro Kirk. Yeah. And that's defensively, that's offensively. He is front and center on this team again. And for a while there, he was sharing it with Danny Jansen. Neither one was really hitting. And then Jansen starts to hit, but then he goes down. So it's all about Kirk right now. And I, I legitimately see better at-bats from him. I'm seeing better contact from him. The Blue Jays have worked on some things behind the scenes to try to get him to lift the ball in the air more and to make sure that he is not hitting it into the ground because I know he continues to get these infield hits, but that's probably not a sustainable model for him to follow just given that he is well, well below average as far as foot speed in Major League Baseball. So... You want him hitting line drives and fly balls. He has great contact ability. That's been well established. He can still be a very, very good and dangerous offensive player with the ability that he has to control the strike zone and to make pitchers attack him over the plate. So he's doing that, in my opinion, in the last week or so, the last couple of weeks. There are better signs from him, and the Jays really need that because it's all Kirk right now. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and hopefully it's just the, the requisite 10 days that Danny Jansen needs and he can get back in there. But, uh, yeah, Alejandro Kirk. And at times, Ben, it's uh, Alejandro Kirk has not exactly benefited from playing a bunch behind the plate, right? Like this is a guy that 
and was an all-star, as I mentioned, in the second half of the season with the the more playing time that he got, even as a DH. Like, it's it does seem like a guy that you would want to protect playing time-wise. Obviously, they don't have a choice right now. And the Blue Jays have been pretty good. I mean, again, the healthiest team in, in Major League Baseball keep uh, banging that point home. But that's because they've done well managing their players on a day-to-day basis, and you don't have a choice when one of your everyday catchers is out of the equation. But that, to me, is 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 one of the primary focuses of of getting Alejandro Kirk back to where he needs to be. For sure, for sure, he's just so important to this team. And you know, when when you do see him at his best, he is just an impact player. I mean, he was, as you said, he was the All Star last year, and I still think that that ability is very much there for him the skills that make someone an all-star catcher at 24 rarely just disappear at the age of 25 so i think he can for the rest of the season if he's healthy and that's you know we can't take that for granted just given the workload that he's about to sustain here with danny jansen being week to week not day to day but week to week Mm. um that's going to be a lot of uh, pressure on kirk physically and they're working behind the scenes to try to make sure he's recovering well and and doing everything they can to keep him out there as consistently as possible. But as long as he is out there, I really think he can be that impact offensive player that he was last year. Yeah, yeah, me too. I do wonder if, like, I I know the whole Dalton Varsho uh, out of the catching position thing was supposed to juice his offense. That hasn't happened yet, and there's a whole lot of seasons still to come. Um, This is not a guy that was, like, just a, a catcher in quotation marks last season. Like he played it, what, 30 times? And he was pretty good. Like, the advanced numbers as far as his pop time were were, were pretty good. I, I wonder what it would take for them to revisit the Dalton Varsho thing. Like, say, like, and not that this is the reporting at all, but, like, say Danny Jansen missed the rest of the season. Like, is that something that, that is seriously consider, considered Dalton Varsho putting the gear back on? It's a really interesting question. And I've asked John Schneider about Varsho and his potential usage behind the plate a couple times within the last week. And I've never gotten the sense that the Blue Jays are close to putting him back there. You know, there have been some situations where in a game situation um, where they pinch ran for Kirk and he had already he had already replaced Heinemann on the weekend. Varsho would have come in if the Blue Jays had tied the game. So that would be an emergency, you know, very unusual set of circumstances could happen. So I could see Dalton Varsho catching once or twice this year. That wouldn't shock me. But I don't think we're going to get to a situation where he is a regular part of their plans behind the plate. Because, you know, also up until today, Varsho's been their starting center fielder. So you kind of need him in center field where he's very, very good there as well, backing up Kevin Kiermaier. And realistically, is Kevin Kiermaier going to play I I don't have the number 100 games left in the season. Uh, Is Mm -hmm. Kevin Kiermaier going to play, I don't know, 75 of those would probably be good. So you need Dalton Varsho in center for another 25. I just don't think it's fair necessarily to have him bouncing between center field, catcher, trying to catch bullpens, trying to do pregame meetings. (laughs) Like it's at a certain point, you kind of run out of hours in the day. Yeah, it's not fair, but imagine if he could do it. You'd be talking about a super player, honestly. And yeah, you want to talk about the offensive bar being low if you play the type of defense he does in the outfield. Imagine how low the offensive bar is when you're playing elite center field and you're, you know, playing above average catcher. Anyways, um, there's obviously still more there offensively for Dalton Varsho, even if he's like just the same guy that we saw in Arizona last year. He hit 27 home runs, right? We just just haven't seen that type of power yet. Um, I believe that, yeah, we will see more of it as the season goes along. I wonder where Brandon Belt, like the expectations 
of him considering how he looked before he was shut down last season, how he looked at the beginning of this season. And now that he's got his numbers back to respectability in the on-base at 372, the slug. Again, everybody's slug, super low. It's under 400 for him. I wonder if the Blue Jays do believe, though, that that, that he still has that power in his bat. Uh, would they have it, like signed up for this version of Brandon Belt preseason? Well, I think they would have signed up for these numbers. Um, I think the numbers that Brandon Belt has have been uh, in proportion to a $9 million salary to this point in the season. I think if you look at the underlying skills, this is my personal opinion, I don't think that they're in proportion to it. I think that you're seeing a really good plate approach, and then you're seeing really good strike zone judgment, and that's awesome. But to me, if you're paying someone $9 million, mm. I'd want to see more barrels. I'd yeah. want to see more big-time power. I'd want to see him reach the second deck once in a while. And, I, you know, that's just one person's opinion, right? Like, maybe maybe the Blue Jays would all disagree with me, but I just, I, you know, I look at his BABIP. He has been one of the most fortunate hitters in baseball. Mm. Again, that's led to a good slash line. The production is there. Nothing wrong with the production to this point. But... For a guy who's not going to win a lot of foot races, um, he's a backup first baseman as far as the defensive value. Mm-hmm. I would just want to see more lasers around the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. I would le- also like to see the laser show. Uh, I would like to see Alec Manoa look like the guy we saw the first two years in the major leagues tonight. Um, because the last outing, not super encouraging. After a, an encouraging outing before that, um, had the five walks. Um, and it's now, what, uh, 13 walks over his last three starts. He's the major league leader in walks per nine this season. Um, Our pal Chris Black sharing some advanced numbers about the slider, looking at least a little bit more effective. Like, where are you on on Alec Manoa turning a corner and the expectations for for tonight's start? Well, for him to turn a corner, I would need to see him throw strikes more consistently. And if he does that for a period of two to three starts then I would say he's turning a corner and watch out Alec Manoa is really trending in the right direction and absent that then it's a search it's an ongoing search it's uh, a challenge for Alec Manoa who has certainly overcome many challenges before who certainly has this stuff to uh, overcome this challenge who certainly has a lot of support around him but to me right now he's still in the midst of that challenge which is trying to throw more pitches over the plate to challenge hitters within the zone to be on the edges of the zone but not off the edges of the zone that's what he's trying to do and to me that's the important thing for him tonight is to try to find ways to be more consistently ahead in the count 0-1-1-2-0-2 and if he can do that for two or three starts then we will be looking at a pitcher who can be a big difference maker for the Blue Jays um before I let you go Hagen Danner the, the, the former catching prospect for the Toronto Blue Jays converted into a pitcher, uh, promoted up to AAA. He's on the 40-man roster, and I didn't see the, the final box score today. I think he was, he was pitching today, but the, like, the strikeout numbers are pretty impressive for a guy who throws in the upper 90s. Again, already on the, the 40-man roster. Like How far away from the major leagues is, is this guy? Well, if you're on the 40-man roster, the answer is always not far. So that is always a name to watch. It always accelerates things if you're already on there because you're not kicking someone off. So um, that sounds like a name to watch. And they're pretty set in the bullpen right now. They also have Zach Pop working his way back and Mitch White. Um, So Danner wouldn't be the first option who would come back. But 
you know that it's a long season and there will be attrition when it comes to this pitching staff. So opportunity will exist for the pitchers who deserve it. Ben, always a pleasure, buddy. Enjoy a baseball game tonight. I intend to. It looks like a really nice one here with the Dome open. So should be fun. And thanks for having me on, Ben. Thanks, Ben. There's Ben Nicholson-Smith getting ready for a baseball game down at Rogers Centre. Julio Tehran against Alec Manoa as the Blue Jays trying to secure themselves of a second straight series victory over a division leader in a central division. That stinks, as most do outside of the American League East. I mean, maybe you can convince me the AL West is okay. Yes, like maybe the Rangers have staying power and now, maybe the Angels, well, the Angels definitely have two of the best players in the history of the sport, and the Astros, the Astros. But a uh, lot of, like, everybody kind of stinks outside of the American League East, and when you play those teams, you should beat them because despite the fact that it's it's a more balanced schedule, you still have more games against the beasts of the East than you do the rest of the teams around Major League Baseball, although enjoying a nice little respite from them right now uh, with this series and then you got the Mets. But then the, the Orioles, not too far away. And and the Astros upcoming uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. By the way, mentioned uh, Hagen Danner getting the call up to AAA and uh, getting in the game today for the Buffalo Bisons. Bisons lose 6-2 to the St. Paul Saints. Okay. Uh, but Danner, uh, he got four outs. He, strike out, he struck out two. In his AAA debut, gave up one hit. The uh, one hit was Big Fly. Uh, so gave up one earned run over one and a third innings, striking out two. And, uh, I mean, what have Blue Jays fans been clamoring for for years and years and years? Like high power strikeout arms like the Rays seemingly have in abundance below the major league level. They don't have a ton, but this is one of them. So perhaps uh, somebody who could be an impactful addition to the bullpen when needed. But right now, kind of looks okay. I mean, part of that is you're not playing the 27 Yankees. And you are playing the Milwaukee Brewers, who went into yesterday's game against Yusei Kikuchi as the worst-hitting team in all of Major League Baseball against left-handed pitching. And that looked silly in the first inning when they put up a two-spot and went up 2 nothing on the Blue Jays. But that was it. And they were done in a 7-2 loss to the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, now they got Julio Tehran on the mound that they just acquired, who looked pretty good in five innings in his first start as a Milwaukee Brewer. Time now for last call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Game one of the Stanley Cup final. We got to wait until Saturday to see the Golden Knights hosting the Florida Panthers, and one of these teams is going to come away with their first ever Stanley Cup title. Uh, Golden Knights in game one are favored minus 129 against Sergei Bobrovsky and Matthew Kachuk, who are plus 112 in Vegas on Saturday. Game one of the NBA Finals, as I mentioned, going tomorrow in Denver, where the Nuggets have been home and cooled out for a while after sweeping away the Lakers. The Miami Heat, only a couple of days ago, took care of the Boston Celtics in game seven. But uh, dealt them at your own peril. Nuggets in game one tomorrow are minus nine-point favorites against Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, and the Miami Heat. And then tonight's game, Toronto Blue Jays with their supposed ace on the hill, Alec Manoa, 
against a guy who's basically made no starts over the last three years are minus 162 favorites with Kevin Kiermaier back in the lineup and hitting ninth. Brewers plus 143. That was the last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. All right. Day game tomorrow means uh, no fan drive time. I'll be back on Monday. But coming up next, it's yet another edition of Blair and Barker getting you set for uh, game two of three between the Blue Jays and the Milwaukee Brewers. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy Blair and Barker. I'm Ben Ennis. This has been the Fan Drive Time Sportsnet 590 The Fan.